um, what was the last one? Okay. So we were talking about o- obtaining the promised land last time that we were together, just us. And um, I- this past week I was praying in the morning and I got a vision while I was, while I was praying. And I saw this heavy cloak fall on me and cause me to fall on my knees because it was so heavy. It was dark and looked really ratty, like old. And I heard this. It is time. Consecrate yourself through prayer and fasting. It is time. And it was like resounding in the vision so much that it was like hit me hard. I saw that I was, then I saw a picture of me declaring it today um, that we must engage corporately and that it will be a time of real consecration with the conviction of the spirit upon each of us individually and also upon us as an entire community. It is time. Humble yourself. It's prayer and fasting. We must. It is absolutely necessary for the next season. And that's what I wrote. And it was so heavy on me that day. Like, I heard it resounding in my heart the rest of the day. It's time. It's time. It's time. And it's interesting because the 10 days of prayer, we're in the midst of that. All over New England, churches are gathering together for these 10 days and doing um, different services like we had here on Monday all over Maine. It's happening. I received an email about what the 10 days should be about. And it was all like uh, repentance and mourning and getting weeping. And I'm like, oh, man, I just don't feel it. Like, I want the victory. I want the rejoicing. Like, so I'm reading it. And I'm like, God, if I'm totally missing something, I need you to do change my heart. Like, help me to see clearly because, you know, there is there are times for great joy and victory. And in the email, it wasn't Jonathan, who's a good friend of mine, too. He just said, you know, if um, he turns our mourning into joy. And so there must be mourning before there's joy. And so he was trying to preface this of like, no, we're not supposed to be walking around just like this defeated, like mourning people. But there is a time to mourn and there's a time to repent. And as I was praying about it, because I really I wasn't feeling it. I just I wasn't there yet myself. And then it hit me very strongly um, the other week when we were reading in Joshua. Um, and this is when this had to do again, kind of off of what Renee had gotten and seen. Um, Joshua was about to lead the people over. If you guys remember in verse uh, in chapters three, four, five, we kind of went over some of the things um, throughout all of those. But in three, he says in verse five, "Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. Consecrate yourself. Set apart." Right. Set yourselves apart because tomorrow the Lord will do wonderful things about you. So there's this preparation. And then remember, chapter five, we talked about how they all needed to be circumcised, all the men, because those that had been born in the wilderness grew up not circumcised. And God was saying this whole generation of people was going to die. They weren't going to enter the promised land. This new generation was going to go in and take it. But they had to be circumcised, which was a cutting off of the flesh so that they and then there was a time of healing and then they went in for war. Um, So there's this time of preparation, right, of cutting. And that is painful 
and then a time of healing, and then a time of taking for war. And I, God has been speaking so much to me about knowing the season that we're in. Like we need to know what season we're in, like we've been talking about since we got here in May, about or even before that when we're visiting, right, going after the goal. We have to know what the vision is in order to pursue it, right? If, we're, we're, if we don't know what we're going after, how are we going to give everything to get there? We won't. It will be confusing. And but if we know, like, God is saying, consecrate yourselves, let me cut the flesh, then let me heal you, and then what precedes this is great victory in obtaining the promised land, every promise that I've given to you. Then we're saying the end goal is this promised land. Wow, that's going to be awesome. The promise that we've been waiting so long for, that that's going to help us endure this time of consecration. That hurts. Right? And so um, fasting, I mean, we told you this a couple weeks ago and we were talking, you know, because we see each other, but this three-week fast starting today, the Lord told me to go on it three weeks um, of just full fast. But then we talked about there are different types of fast and the keto thing and every everything that's going on with that. of deny It's a, a place of self-denial where you're saying for a greater cause, I'm denying myself. And so even with the different types of fast, we have to make sure that our mindset is set on this thing that we're saying. I'm setting myself apart during these times that I would normally eat, that I would normally watch TV, that I would normally do whatever that you're fasting, and I'm seeking the face of God, and I'm asking him to expose things in my own heart, and then I'm repenting, and I'm turning from it. And this is already, I, I wasn't even fasting yet, and it already began, and so I'm like, oh, great, it's going to get a lot tougher. You know, the minute you start to deny those other things, it starts to surface up all these deeper things on the inside, and then you d it comes to a place of repentance. Um, and there's, I don't know if you want scriptures to read about this. I'm not going to go through all of them because there's a lot, but I wanted to give some for reference. Because there's, in scripture, all throughout, there's different types of fasting or, or where they do it for different reasons. But there's m some main ones, and one of them was fasting with repentance, consecration. So that's what we're talking about here. We're doing a fast to consecrate ourselves, to say we're denying the flesh, what we desire to do, so that our spirit, our inner man, can hear clearer what God is saying. We're consecrating ourselves. And that's 1 Samuel 7, 6, Daniel 9, 3 through 5, and then Jonah chapter 3, 5 through 9. Was with Jonah, you remember, he went and preached that God's judgment was coming. And he didn't think that Nineveh would listen, but what did they do? They heard, and then they repented. They clothed themselves with sackcloth and ashes, fasted. They made all the animals fast, too. It wasn't just the people. Like, their entire little city fasted and prayed and cried out to God. So it wasn't this fast of, like, um, of receiving direction necessarily. It was saying, God, save us. We're repenting a pure fast of repentance. We recognize that we have done something wrong, and we are, we're coming before you saying, God, here we are. We are repenting for these things, these evil things inside of us. Um, and then fasting to receive direction. We see that in Acts a bunch of times, right? When they first chose Paul and Barnabas, 
what were they doing? It says in Acts 13, 2 through 4, that they were gathered together, praying and fasting, and then the Holy Spirit sets apart Paul and Barnabas for the work, and they go and plant a bunch of churches. And then in Acts 14, 23, they pray and fast again, and then they set leaders over all the churches that they had just planted. So this is, they fasted and were praying for direction. They needed specifics from God. Who are we to send? Let's pray and fast about it. God, show us. So it clears our mind to see the will of God clearly. It clears our ears to hear his will clearly. Oh, he's highlighting Paul and Barnabas. We only recognize this through prayer and fasting. We're sending them out. The Holy Spirit's sending them out. 14.23, who are to be the leaders of these churches we've just planted? Let's fast and pray. Let's seek God's face. So this place is seeking the direction of God. And then Ezra 8.21, the same thing. He was saying, consecrate yourselves as a people. Ezra and Nehemiah are very similar books. They're about the same history. They're just two men. They're overlapping their times, uh, rebuilding the walls. And he Ezra was saying, we need to fast and pray and consecrate ourselves unto God to seek his direction for us. What would he have us to do? And so these are key. And then we all know the famous fasting passage and the, the Beatitudes, right? What does Jesus say? Do it in secret. Wash your face. It doesn't mean that you have to, like, if someone says, oh, are you fasting? And you're like, oh, no, I can't tell them. What do I do? How do I make an excuse? No. It's more saying the attitude of your heart should be not to put it on display. You're not walking in the room saying, I'm fasting, I'm this holy person, and God's going to use me, yeah, look at me, I'm fasting. Or I'm coming in and I'm like, oh, oh I'm fasting today, I'm just so weak, I can't do it. <laughs> like that type of thing. He's saying, no, wash your face, put some perfume on, act like a normal person, because it's before God that you're fasting. It's not before people. This is before him. And, and this is the attitude of our heart in fasting. You know, it's not before each other. It's not for us. But it's for the greater plan of God in our lives. Now, that's just the preface, the message that. So I really believe strongly that we're to fast and pray. And again, that's between you and the Lord, what you do. And maybe it's just this what you're doing now or maybe it's something more listen to him what he wants you to do how he wants that to look and then it's very um, good I think for me at least I make a plan so that I stick with it because <laughs> it's so easy to have like general ideas or I confess it to him and say this is what I'm doing to fast and hold me accountable to it I don't want to watch TV on XXX amount of days Make sure if I'm like tempted to just relax because I'm tired from fasting food and just be like, no, you don't want, you know, whatever it is, you have your the accountability. If you never say it out loud, it's so easy to just convince yourself in your own mind and give up. But one of the things for me um, that God has been exposing once again, which is so good, and I'm going to just be vulnerable here because I believe it's important. And we want to cultivate that here as a group, honesty about our weaknesses. Um, but one of the things is pride. Again, it's been something, it's something we all deal with. And I'm going to highlight some of the major areas that it so shows itself in our hearts, in our minds. Because 
pride. This is what Lloyd McClung says, Andrew Murray, David Van Fleet, these three great men um, always said pride is the root of all sin. Pride is the root of all sin. Why? Because it's self-seeking. And sin at its very root is self-seeking. It's all about yourself. So if you take someone else's life, right, murder is a sin. You're seeking your own desire. You're not thinking about that other person at all. You're doing what you want to do. If you're stealing, it's selfishness. You're doing it for your own benefit. You're not thinking about who you're stealing from, whatever. If you're lying, you're trying to cover up yourself. It's self-seeking. You're not thinking about how the lies are affecting other people. Name any sin, and it comes back to you're serving yourself, so it's rooted in pride. And then the root of all godly virtue is then humility. The root of all godly virtue is humility. Every fruit of the Spirit comes out of this place of humility. That's why Jesus walked in this tremendous, humble place, and every fruit of the Spirit comes out of that place because humility is thinking to honor God and to love people. You're thinking about the people around you more than you are yourself. That's a hard place to be. Because in our minds, you know, we want to do humble acts, right? We can think of things that would be humble. Oh, I'm going to serve, I'm going to choose to serve this person this way. And that's me stepping out in humility. But a lot of times the, the hardest place is our mind because we think arrogantly. And it's like part of our human nature. And so part of it is just taking those thoughts captive. But pride, um, there's a scripture that... Uh, in in Floyd McClung's series, if you have YouTube and want to listen to a, a three-part message on the roots and fruits of pride is what it's called. Oh, man, it'll be like a knife going like this to your heart, and you'll be like, oh, God, I'm so prideful. But it's a good feeling, you know what I mean? Because it's exposing it. Um, but pride is extremely deceptive, and it blinds us to the fact that we are actually walking in it. That's why it's so hard. We, we don't even see that we're in it. Usually we can point out in someone else if they're, you know, acting pride proud. Oh, that person is proud. It's easy to see. But for ourselves, it deceives us to even know that we have it. And that's why it's helpful to have people or scripture to help point it out so we start to realize the fruit of pride in our hearts and the roots of them. Um, and that's uh, why I always ask God, expose it in me because I know it's deceptive and I can get to a place where I don't even realize that I'm functioning in it or I make it excuses. But pride um, shows itself in two extreme ways. One is the religious spirit, which is over overtly arrogant, right? So it's very easy to see. We often think that's the only way that pride shows itself is someone who's very arrogant and saying, I'm the best. So here's a couple examples. I always hear God correctly because I have a spirit of discernment and no one, can, no one can tell me otherwise. So someone who says that, I always hear God correctly. I never hear him wrong. Like, uh, no, that's pride. You think too highly of yourself. They're unteachable. A fruit of pride. The person that sees, this is another um, evidence of pride, is the person who sees where everyone else is off. I can read people's motivations because of my spiritual giftings. Therefore, it's my duty to help them see. 
They're constantly making judgment on others around you, whether individuals or against communities, churches, etc. So that's pride because you're you're pointing out, always pointing out what's wrong in the people around you. But there's no exposure of my own weakness, no exposure of my frailty. Actually, my hiding from that is to say, oh, did you see? Did you know? Did you? I have the spiritual gift of discernment, and therefore it's my job to point out everything. And, and so some of these things, for me, it's like the thoughts in my mind. God is exposing that I haven't been thinking well. I think more highly of us than I do of others. Oh, we have it better. We are more on track than other churches. That's disgusting. That's arrogant. It's disgusting. And I've been like, oh, rip. Yeah, it does. And you're like sick to my stomach. Like, this is not right, God. I'm so sorry. This place of repentance. When someone, when you're in a disagreement with someone, you're never wrong. That's pride. <laughs> yeah, most most easily seen in married couples, the one who's never wrong or is always right, then is the one with the more pride. Or in your family situations, whatever it is, usually it's the closer relationships that you have. Or I never apologize. The person who never apologizes because I'm never wrong. Instead, I excuse my way around what I did or said that was wrong and talk my way out of it. So some people are really good at this. They, s they never apologize, but they make all these excuses, and by the end you're thinking, okay, I understand a little better. That's okay. I forgive you. And you're thinking I forgive you, but they never even apologize. Why? Because they're too proud to admit they did something wrong. Fruit of pride. When someone corrects me or brings discipline to me, I immediately begin to defend myself. And I'm thinking immediately what is actually wrong with the other person and how they have no right to correct me. Now, this is a hard one because when correction comes, it hurts. We don't want to feel like we're doing wrong, and I think we condemn ourselves so much that when someone else brings correction, we just go into self-pity mode or defense mode. Right, so the defense is, "Who are you?" Or, oh, "I'm always, I'm always wrong. I never do anything right." It's like Eeyore. I can never do anything right. Exactly. It's just kick me while I'm down. I'm just always, you know. <laughs> That's pride, though, because it's self-seeking. It's all about you. When someone else is preaching, I'm thinking I could do that, and I could probably do it better. Why is that person up there speaking? Why am I not? Why have they not recognized my gifting yet? This is overtly proud, you know? It's more of a in-your-face type, like you're sitting there like, oh, I could be so much better than that person. And I've thought that way before. That's what makes most of these I've dealt with before in my life. And that's why they're so clear to me because it's stuff I've had to deal with and it's God's exposed in me and it's growth. I hate even admitting it because it's so like, oh, you know, but I know you guys love me. Um, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, they're always complaining and claiming what they think they deserve. 
So the person who's always complaining about their life and how terrible it is and they deserve this and why isn't their life better, that's proud. Because, number one, what we all deserve is hell. Each and every one of us deserve hell. So stop claiming what you deserve. <laughs> if you don't want what you deserve, anything above that is a blessing from God. Our health, our families, our homes, these are all tremendous blessings from God. The minute we start to complain about it, we're saying we deserve something better than what we already have. And that what we have is not good enough. And therefore, we're saying to God, you're not giving us what we deserve. It's arrogant thinking. The one that thinks they're a good Christian and have achieved some sort of right standing before God. The only righteousness you achieve on your own is self-righteousness, which is arrogance. And God is opposed to it. So when all of a sudden we really think, oh, yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm in right standing before God um, by something you're doing, right? That's the difference. Because we need to be confident that we're in right standing before God because of the blood of Jesus. But when we think that we're in right standing before God because of what we're doing, that's proud. That's pride. That's self-righteousness. And I've dealt with that a lot with this works mentality trying to do, do, do my way to, to make, in, in my mind, it's to make God pleased with me. But in reality, it's making me feel like I'm being accepted by him. And if I don't do what's right or if I mess up, then he's, he's mad at me and he doesn't love me as much. It's a lie. That's self-righteousness. My righteousness comes from Jesus alone. And then the one that believes that what they have is from their own strength, and therefore no one can tell them what to do or not do with it, not even God. So my clothes are because I have a job. I worked for that money. That money is mine. I can buy my clothes. God can't tell me to give away my clothes. I worked this job. I got this money. God can't tell me to give that money away. No one can. It's mine. That's proud arrogant it's showing clearly a lack of surrender my money my clothes my house my family my 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 so that you know those things are kind of easy for us to see because they're like overtly arrogant they're like whoa you even say them and people are like oh my gosh that's obviously arrogant the other the other side of the coin is a little more difficult false humility the one that portrays themselves as less than everyone else this is pride so incredibly insecure, the one that claims to be shy as part of their personality type, when really what drives their shyness is fear of rejection and fear of what other people might think of them. Therefore, I don't ever talk or add what I think because what I have to share really isn't deep or valua valuable. Everyone has mu is much more mature than I am. That's again, that's self-seeking. You're just thinking about yourself. What I don't have, what I can't give, I'm less than everybody else. I'm less mature. Other people have what's better than me. Your whole focus is yourself. Rather than, no, I'm a child of God. 
the spirit rests inside of me. So even if I get the smallest thing that looks insignificant or I think is insignificant, before God, I know I'm going to offer it in true humility, saying, this is what I feel on the subject. This is what I think about that. And you're not afraid of people rejecting you or afraid of looking stupid or afraid of looking immature. Yeah, (laughs) afraid of looking stupid. That insecurity comes from pride because you're so focused on yourself. I really don't have any spiritual gifts. I'll just stay in the background doing something so as not to be seen or heard. But then there's inward jealousy of those that they think have the cool spiritual gifts. So they're still not satisfied. So the person that says, I, God must have skipped over me when he handed out the gifts. <laughs> you know, this it says that he ascended on high and gave gifts to man, but somehow I was not one of them. And I see everybody else around and they have all these cool gifts, but not me. So I'll just stay in the background and hope to God that no one ever sees me or approaches me or talks to me. Again, that's self-seeking. You're all about self-preservation so that you don't get hurt, you don't get rejected, you don't get seen. Instead of recognizing, no, God gave me a gift and I'm going to use it. If it requires me to be in the background, then I'm in the background. If it requires me to be in the front, then I'll be in the front. None of those positions matter. What matters is my heart attitude before God that I'm stewarding the gift he gave me for his glory. When it becomes about how I feel, it's pride. I'm self-focused. It's about me. It's about how it makes me feel. And in our culture, especially in America, everything preaches to us that it is about us. I'm proud to be American. Well, we can be proud in the good sense of the word, but it's this pride of like, it's all about me. What I want to do with my life, what job I want to get, what I want to do with my money. And then our culture screams, do what you want. It's all about you, what you, d- you, what you think. Have it your way, everything. This, the self-pity side of pride avoids confrontation at all costs because they can't handle when there's a possibility of someone not liking them. Again, it's about them. So they say, I will never confront. It doesn't even matter if it hurt me. It doesn't matter if it was awful and I cried my eyes out because of it. I will not confront the situation. I'm going to deal with my emotions because I don't want someone to get upset at me because I confront the situation. It's pride. You're self-seeking. Avoids trying anything new for fear of rejection Fear of failure, fear of people, what people think. Bound by fear of what others might think. This shows pri- pride because they are self-consumed. You won't try anything. Like God says, oh, c- try this venture. And they're like, I'm too scared. Uh, why? Because I don't want to mess up. Why? Because I don't want people, when you get to the root of it, because I don't want people to think I'm a failure. I don't want people to see me mess up. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're making fun of me. I didn't succeed or, w- you know, whatever we think. But the fact is, if we do what God is calling us to do, step out and try something new, and we fail, who cares? We learn from that experience. We get up and we move forward. That's true humility. I, it's not about me. Yeah, you just get up and keep going. But 
when we start to beat ourselves up over it, and then because we beat ourselves up, we don't want to ever do anything. We don't ever want to step out because if we're in the light, people will see us. And then that puts me at, a, at everybody's exposure to ridicule me, to put me down, to whatever. And then jealousy is common here. They never want to step out, but are constantly thinking how everyone else's gift and talent is better than what they've been given, or that they don't, they, they don't, well, we talked about this, they don't believe they've been given anything at all. So they're constantly looking at other people like, Oh, you got this, and you got this, and I got nothing. Oh, there's people here going like this. I think they're here for the sanctuary. Come on in. We're talking about a really hard message. <laughs> yeah, you want to go tell them she's at the door. I think Heather. She's like peeking in the door. And who's coming up the side here? So the humble heart, we'll just finish on this, um, what true humility looks like. So, I mean, it's easy to see. This is the type of stuff we want God to expose in us during this next two weeks that we'll see from this verse. Like, where, where are these areas in me, and how do I break free? True humility. The one that is thankful. One who is thankful is humble because they recognize they don't deserve it. We talked about the opposite, claiming that we deserve, complaining. But when you have the thankful heart, you're saying, I don't deserve these things. God has given them to me as a blessing. And therefore, I'm thankful for everything. I'm thankful for the bed I sleep in. I'm thankful for the, the food I get every day. I'm thankful for the water I get to drink. It's a blessing. And I think that can become more reality as we go to Haiti and you see people who have nothing. And then you come back and you're like, oh, my gosh, we have everything. I have multiple pairs of clothing and shoes. And wow, what blessing. We live in abundance. Never looks at a position as a place of elevation, elevation or being better than, but as a place to serve. That's true humility. So the gift that you have that God's given you or the position it puts you in, it's a place to serve. So when it's about other people and about him, you're not going to be arrogant about it or you're not going to be consumed by fear. I'm on the worship team. It's time to sing out. Well, I'm thinking of it as serving God with my gift. I'm not thinking about messing up. I'm not thinking about getting the wrong, the words mixed up. Who cares about those things? That doesn't even matter. It's about him and serving him and then using your gift to bless people. There's a lot of freedom in it. It's not self-focused. It's able to receive from others as well as give. The arrogant can never receive from people or have a really hard time receiving. It takes true humility to receive a gift from somebody and not feel like you have to pay them back. Because they're coming, I don't want to receive, because if I receive that from you, then I'm going to feel like I owe you something. No, that's not how it works. You receive as if a blessing from God, thankfulness overflows, and then you're able to give freely as well. 
does not judge and is not easily offended, forgives quickly and gives grace to those around them because they understand their own weaknesses and the grace that they've received from both God and people around us. So true humility is one who does not judge other people. That's a hard one. Or it doesn't get easily offended. It's really easy to get offended by people when they say terrible things to us or you know, mean things. It's, c- it's easy to have offense. Uh, I don't ever want to talk to that person again because they said da, 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 da. I don't ever want to do this. I'm not going there again. I'm never going to talk to this person again because they offended me. They hurt me. Well, true humility says, okay, they hurt me. Truth. It hurt when they said that. Truth. But I've received so much forgiveness from God. And I have hurt him very much. And I've probably hurt a lot of people in my life. So I get it. We all hurt people. I forgive you. You're understanding you've received so much grace from God that you're able to give it to others. Or when some, you know, and so we don't judge people either. Because who likes to be judged? No one likes to be judged. But somehow we feel justified in our judgment of other people and what they're doing or how they're living life. Then the truly humble is always dependent on God daily, showing their dependence on him for direction, guidance, when they're not trying to figure out things themselves. It's true humility when we say, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do with life. I have no idea. God, help me. God, help me. Like, I need you. I need you. And then we display ourselves to the world in that way where we say uh, we've got nothing the only reason why we can keep moving forward is because god gives us grace he gives us direction we're dependent on him if it were up to us we would be a mess and a failure and we even with him we still mess up and we still fail but there's joy in the process there's grace in that and we're good so those are just uh, several little things that are, are part of um, things that God's been exposing in me and really be praying about that through these next three weeks, especially. What are the areas? And then when we come together, let's confess to one another. Let's be open. Let's get to this place of freedom where we can say, God showed me this about myself. It disgusted me. And I repented. And now I'm free. It's a testimony. It brings us presence, his favor. Um, And then we can hold each other accountable to those things as well. Um, So amen. Let's pray and then we'll get out of here. I'll show you the running books. (laughs) Father, we love you so, so, so much. We love your presence. We love your word. We love the way that you give us greater and greater freedom every day that you love to teach us your ways, to free us from pride and arrogance, and teach us to live in humility, serving one another, loving one another, and above all, giving you the glory for everything that happens in our lives. Father, we truly are thankful. You are so good to us. You've always been so good to us. We love you, Lord. We love your word. I pray that you would give grace to us these next three weeks as we pursue seeking your face, that we would hear clearly, and that you would bring a a great turnaround in each of us, that we would really be set apart for you in this time. 
We love you so much. Bless the rest of this day in Jesus' name. Amen.